Hello and welcome to the next installment of Opt-In NYC Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Officer Joe Galetta, and this week I am joined in studio with... John Nagon. And remotely with... Kayla Saber. And we have in studio guest today, Officer Richardson from the 100 Precinct. Hi, good morning. My name is Officer Richardson. I work in the 100 Precinct. I'm an NCO. I got 27 years and four months on the job. That is quite impressive. And four months. The four months is really the impressive part. Yeah. Um, to me, that's that's a very unheard of amount of time. For those of, at home who don't know, what is an NCL? It's a unit called the Neighborhood Coordinator Officer. We were put in the department or chosen to bridge that gap between the community and police department for us to come together as one, to work together and understand the problems that they have, to understand the problems we get. So we can work together to resolve anything and work as a family and be as one. Where does your precinct cover geographically? I'm out in the Rockaways. My precinct goes from 59th Street and Rockaways Boulevard all the way to Breezy Point. From the shorefront, which is the beach, all the way down Cross Bay to Howard Beach. John, Kayla, do you have any questions for our guests so far? what was the choice that kind of made you say, I want to be a cop or this is the career path I want to do? Because clearly something you want to do after 27 years. So what what was that moment for you in your life? It was actually in 1990. A friend of mine who I used to work with, he became an officer. And um, he was telling me a lot of good things that he was doing in a department that was in tune with what I would like to do, being that I was working for school safety. Um, working for school safety, it, it gets you familiar with a lot of different people, a lot of different uh, nationalities. So that, I just wanted to branch that out in the department. What were the similarities between school safety and becoming an NCO and how did it help you transition? As an NCO, school safety, we deal with um, keeping kids out of trouble. The NCO was keeping everybody out of trouble. If somebody got a problem, we would personally have a more personal contact and resolving their problem than opposed to being on patrol, going from radio run to radio run and don't have time to deal with the person on a more personal level to deal with situations that they may have. As an NCO, I could sit down with you and give you the time that you need. I can listen and understand what you need done and how I could help you. But being that we talked about the similarities, was there any kind of you know, obvious and major differences between being a school safety agent and being a, an NCO? Well, the major difference is that we, we're dealing with, as an NCO, it would prevent somebody from getting arrested, going to jail unnecessarily. You know, we, we, are, we would like to be a mediator as opposed to being a school safety agent. Um, we, could, we could do that, but we wouldn't necessarily have the power and authority to make that call because the Board of Ed would make that call. We only are agency with inside the Board of Ed. But as a police officer, I have the power and authority to say, okay, this is not an arrest that has to be made. We can have mediation. We, we both, all three of us can come to some kind of resolution to um, make everybody happy. Now, but in the event that that's not possible, then we have to go a different route. Have you been on patrol your entire career? The whole 27 years and four months wow. on the streets. So besides being an NCO, what were some of the other uh, roles or duties or units that you've been in while on patrol? Um, I was a um, condition officer where we would more or less deal with um, like quality of life issues. I patrolled the housings in the precinct and the rest was just patrol. 
just answering radio runs. Yeah, radio runs. They need yeah. help. You show up. Yeah, you know, I was very effective at that. I was good at that. <laughs> Is there anything that you feel like the public doesn't know about the common patrol officer? Because there's already the stigma that comes with the uniform. Well, I, I think that the public doesn't realize that we have to wear a lot of different coats and jackets. I think the public think our main job is to go out there and harass, arrest, and hurt somebody, which is by far, by no means necessary. Does it happen? Very on a small scale, but on that small scale, they blow it up. Mm -hmm. the, the public doesn't see the good things that we do most of the time. So uh, I think that the, if the public was more aware of the good things we do then they would understand what we actually do. Because they only see one thing, and that's what the media portrays. Or somebody has on their they camera phone, they put it out there on Worldstar, something like that. But even in that, they don't catch the beginning to the end. They will only show you the middle to the end or the ending. So that paints a bad picture for police officers as a whole. Yeah, it's a lot of misinformation and a lot of mixed feelings. Definitely. Yes. Right. How do you think, um, since you started 27 years ago, how has your experience as a police officer changed over the years? And how do you think people's perceptions of police officers have changed from when you started to now? Well, it has changed a lot. The department needs to train the officers better than what they've been doing the last couple of years because they give the officers not enough of what their job description is. So I don't think they touch on everything. Like when I came out, we had to do everything. There was no, we, was, we weren't babied in the academy. We were treated like men and women. Now I think they treat them like kids. And to me, that's a bad thing. That's a negative thing as far as me being on a job so long, seeing that transition from treating us like men and women than opposed to kids. Once you put that uniform on, you're not a kid anymore. You're a grown-up. You're an adult. So I think you should be treated as one from the academy to the streets. The academy is supposed to prepare you for the streets. I, they're lacking in that right now the way I see it. And I say that openly because I'm That's out really there. I depend on those officers to know their job, to want to do their job. I want to be able to retire whenever I want to <laughs> with all my limbs and everything else, you know. Right. That's something that, you know, you and the media and the public can honestly agree on. There's just this large idea that the department is kind of lacking in training or at least um, training that's adapted to present day because, you know, not everything stays the same for as long as it is. Yeah, it's not that they're lacking in training. I think that they took a different route in training where it's not that they would touch on something very briefly. When if you know what's going on out in the streets, as you should as being up in the, uh, um, the executive office, you should relay that down to the academy to train those officers stronger in those mm -hmm. areas than opposed to training them in an area that's not really needed and not necessary in the streets. Yeah, they got to adapt the training. Exactly. Well, part of it I've noticed is they're training everyone in what not to do, not what they can do. And that's a problem. And then what comes in is, okay, I know I can't do A, B, or C, so let me try D, and well, nope, D was wrong, and now I'm in trouble, the department's in trouble. It's not, I knew what I couldn't do, I didn't know what I could do. And when that happens, they... Then they start giving you a training on that. Yep. When you knew that was happening out there prior, right. just because it didn't happen yet, 
That doesn't mean you can't train them and be aware and know how to deal with it when it does arise. And then still the training is, okay, now you can do A, B, C, and D. <laughs> still don't teach you what to do, though. Yeah. So yeah. training definitely needs to become more preventative because I think that's what a lot of people who do have issues with police officers feel like a lot of the training doesn't prepare them for what they're actually going to experience. How do you think the public's perception on, um, I guess, kind of funding for police officers, do you feel like they have um, a point in that funding should be reallocated to help with the issues that's going on? Or do you feel like that's another solution that makes more sense? Now, what issues are you talking about? Um, The current issues, the current climate that we have this year um, with officers and how people perceive their interactions with the public, um, and then also calls for defunding the police and the debates around that. So do you, I, I'm pretty sure you don't agree that we should defund the police, but do you think that um, there could be something done to, to help alleviate the issues that's happening? Well, you got to look at it like this. Um, when you defund any department, whether it's law enforcement, social worker, Board of Ed, you're gonna you're gonna lose something, okay? And, and you can shuffle things around, but you won't complete that puzzle like if you had all those pieces that you needed. If you got a puzzle of a thousand pieces, and you take away, you're only gonna have nine hundred pieces, and that puzzle will never be completed. So as far as defunding the police department, I think that if you wanted to fund us, where are you gonna move? The funding too. They got rid of a, a unit that I, I strongly disagree was the uh, anti-crime. When they got, I, I think that if once they got rid of it, they shouldn't never let the public know. The anti-crime unit were the plainclothes officers driving around the unmarked cars, going after um, firearms and and serious felony crimes. Yes. So I mean, once they let the public know, the following day they had over 175. Uh, shootings or something like that. 175. The number may not be on point, but you understand what I'm telling you. That unit was out there taking a lot of guns off the street. Sometimes it was done correctly. Sometimes it wasn't done correctly. But they were still taking guns off the street. The guns in somebody's hands that shouldn't have it is a dangerous thing. Very dangerous. Because you look at it like this. Let's say that person does have a gun. How many rounds of ammo is in that firearm? That him, mm-hmm. That's how many lives could be taken at one time. So I, I think that they made a mistake in doing that. Um, also, I think that a mistake was made when a lot of officers with senior time on, senior officers that had the experience that could help the younger officers uh, left the job. I mean, when they left, experience left. And with mm-hmm. this department, you need that experience. That's something that you can't read in a book. That experience is only good for the computer. That's it. The experience that these officers had who are no longer on a job was life experience. We see more than that laptop a computer could see. We see more than the camera, the body-worn camera could see. You understand? So right there, the department lost a lot. These young officers have no guidance in my book. And then when you try to help them out, 
They feel that they're above that. They're not. They still got to do their time to get that experience under their belt. There is, I think, especially this year, we've seen a lot of police officers retiring and leaving. And I guess not really enough police officers coming in as well. What do you think could be done to help incentivize people to want to stay on the job and continue working longer? You got to start with, don't defund the police department. That's, that's the number one thing right there. You're talking of taking away money from the department that you want out there in the streets. Now, if you got, let's say, I'm going to give you a, 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 a number, 2,000 cops, senior cops, very well trained, have knowledge of the streets, leave the department and you only bring it in 800 you're still down 1,200 cops. And actually, when you look at it, for that one experienced officer, that could be equivalent to 10 rookie cops because that one experienced officer knows more than that 10. He may know more than that whole class because they still got to get trained. That takes time. They go to the academy six months. That six months they're not, it's not going to teach you the streets. That six months teaches you the law. It doesn't teach you how to look for look how, how to see somebody walking down the street and say, yo, he might, he or she might be carrying something. Or what kind of trans transaction was just made. The academy does not teach you that. They teach you the book. That book does not apply to the streets. The streets have their own law. And you as an experienced officer, you know that law on the street. As a rookie, you do not. As a rookie, it may take you three to five to six years to learn that. And now they, they've given these rookies, and I use that term very loosely, too much power to do nothing. You're still a police officer. You still have to do your job. I'm not saying going out there be a superstar, but going out there thinking other than yourself when you go to this radio run, when this lady or this man needs your help. And I tell these rookie cops, it costs you nothing to say good morning, good afternoon, good night. Even if they don't say nothing back, you still say it. That will take you a long way in their eyes in case something may happen to you one day. And they say, yo, that officer did, well, was nice to me, did say this. Let me get on the phone and call and help that officer have somebody come to his or her aid. It's free. It don't cost you nothing to say that. And that will break the ice with the community and the police department. Let's take a moment now and hear from our sponsors. And we're back. Hi, uh, Officer Richardson again. I have a question for the both of you. How do you see the police department or police officers dealing with the public or any situation that you have seen? Do you think what you saw was correct or incorrect or how it could have been done better in certain situations? It may seem like I have a bias because I'm working with the police foundation and I do have family members who are police officers, but I definitely have been on both sides of the issues, seeing both sides and have seen that there has been really terrible handlings of situations with police officers and how some of them interact with people and deal with um, high stress situations. And so I 
try to look at situations objectively and not have my familial like um, connections to how I feel about police officers. And so when I do look at it objectively, I do feel like there needs to be a lot more training in how to deal with high stress situations and how to interact with people despite their skin color or their religious beliefs or things like that. I haven't personally ever really had a negative interaction with police officers, but I've definitely seen a lot of it, obviously, from from the media. I come from a fairly different um, background, to say the least, with my family and my family's upbringing when my my father uh, came from Puerto Rico and then with my mom. So a very different upbringing. Um, I still tried to avoid biased um, growing up, and I did have uh, certain opinions, especially because of media. I was like seven, eight years old, um, you know, going through like middle school. Um, but my introduction to the to the NYPD, I'm speaking about the NYPD, not departments um, uh, else in the country, because I have very much biases towards that. But for the NYPD, um, I was 95% of the time always treated fairly and politely and was always respected. And it's always gone on both ways. And especially uh, working with options, I've kind of had this opinion formed that... Um, the department in New York City is we're always being watched by the rest of the country because we do have like a, a large police force and we also it's a massive city. There's mad, too many people here. Um, and you would think that would make, you know, policing it super hard. There's significantly more people than there is cops. And when it comes to actual slip ups making it to the media and unfortunate circumstances. Every time I see something on Facebook, it's, you know, Ohio, it's it's somewhere else deeper in the country. There was the incident during the protest which the girl had the seizure and she was knocked down. And aside from things going wrong during the protest, I haven't seen something on the media, specifically in New York City, done majorly incorrect by a cop that's at least reached the media. And that's what I form, you know, my thoughts on of that. I, I personally, I can't judge the department too much in New York City because these are the incidents, the incidents we've seen during the protests. And I already have decided that it's because you had a bunch of cops who have never had an actual major riot in the city their entire career, just kind of thrown into these like heavily populated places during a pandemic, um, during already an upscale in violence, given riot gear and told, keep these people in a certain area. So, of course, they're going to be scared. They're, they're going to react a certain way. But if, it doesn't excuse it because of the job. I think in New York City, cops here are doing the best they can and the best they're allowed to. Does it need change and it need to be reformed and worked on and adjusted? Always. It's never going to be perfect. Nothing's ever perfect. There's always going to have to be a reform, a new law, or a new training tactic. But if you compare the rest of the country to New York City, I think we're doing pretty damn good. I agree. I think we're doing pretty good. And then when it comes to the, the debate of, of defunding the police, I think, sure, money can be moved around. When it comes to taking money away, I don't believe in that wholeheartedly. I do think something needs to happen. And I think overall it needs to go to training. Like if I had a choice, like where would I like move money around? I just think officers need to be, the, the training needs to be adapted. And that could be the start. And then of course, conversations like this podcast and, and then also massive city. How can we make connecting with the community? How can we do that better than all of these other departments that are like focused on like a town where they, they're supposed to know everyone there, but that's where the incidents are happening. I think that's another thing where 
we talked about this before, how police officers aren't policing in their own communities, and that causes a disconnect in how they interact with the people they interact with every day. And so I think also having police officers required to live in the area that they're policing would kind of help bridge the gap between the community and also just require less um, high stress situations. Something like that could be very dangerous to an officer because if you have a, a person that has a, an arrest record for possession of firearm, for attempted murder, for something like that, that person would not necessarily take it too kindly if a police officer, if they dislike cops for no matter reason, knows where the officer live. He or she has a family. Um, I don't think that that would solve anything because you don't have to live in an area to understand the area. It's who you are. It's who you can talk to. You're supposed to know when you work in an area, the good and the bad. You're supposed to know who the players are and who the good people are. And you want those players to know that you're around. You want the good people to know that you're around. And that all has, it starts with conversation. Let's say I know a guy, he's a drug dealer. I'm going to be on that corner talking to him. Either he going to talk to me or he's going to leave. Then the good people, we can chop it up on the corner. We can talk all day. But the one that don't want to talk to you, they're going to go somewhere else because you're going to be on that corner. Or if you're driving through the neighborhood and you see somebody, you can stop and chop it up. Talk to them. Either they're going to talk to you again or they're going to leave. You don't have to be aggressive and moving somebody that's not supposed to be at a certain location with force. Simple conversation. By you being there, you're, you're disrupting their whole game. So it doesn't need to be forced to do that. Force only, only brings force. I, I will have a conversation with you. That's it. If cops talk, they've been a lot further than what they've been. You have no idea how far a simple conversation can go. And then, who knows? That person may say, yo, this guy, this, this female or male cop, you know, they're cool. Let, let, me, let me move from this corner. Or uh, let's not do nothing around this officer. Yo, Officer Richardson or Officer Alaganju is, is coming. Yo, let's move, fellas. You know, sometimes just your mere presence the fire stops certain situations. Now, there actually is residency requirements for the NYPD. You have to live within the five boroughs, Nassau, Suffolk. Adjacent counties. The adjacent counties. Um, Yonkers up there. So I can't right. live in Connecticut or Jersey. New Jersey. Right. So I do have to still live uh, relatively close to the city. It's just not going to specifically be exactly in the five boroughs. And then there's, you can't work in your resident Precinct it is? Yeah. yeah. So like if I lived in the 100 in, in Far Rockaway, I couldn't work in the 100 precinct. So there is some requirements already there. So having nearly 30 years on the job, <laughs> I want 27 <laughs> and four months. Do you, what is your favorite story from your entire career Ooh, so far? My mind is going a mile a minute because it's so many. Recently, you know, recent with the option program, um, we had a group of gang bangers or gang members mm -hmm. got jumped out of the gangs. They, they left the gang because of the program. Uh, and uh, one of them is actually in college right now. The other one is working. 
and is going to college. So I'm, I'm gonna say that would be be a, a story that's 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 safe for this <laughs> podcast. I think it's also a kind of an eye opening uh, a story because a lot of people might you know think programs like this they might see it as useless or or you know you're not actually reaching the group that needs it but kind of having that experience like someone left the way of life and decided to give themselves another chance because basically a police officer told them so you don't hear that every day how many programs you can actually name this in this department that's here to help kids one options that's it we cover everything the other programs may cover just sports this is the best program in this department, and it needs to be recognized even more. Thank you. And even if we don't cover something, we have the potential to open the program up more. That's, that's a lot what happens is a lot of these programs, they stick to one thing. Like, hey, it's working in this specific group. Let's keep doing it, keep doing it. And they average out the same numbers every year. We're open to adapt and open to change and add new programs. Somebody wants a new class to learn something new, bang, it's here now. Right. There's nothing simple. wrong with the sports. There is no, 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 nothing, nothing wrong, wrong with sports. sports. It can but, only offer so much. But with this program, it, it gives the kids a chance to be actors and the everyday activities that, that's negative for them, like opioid, domestic violence, cyberbullying, things like that. So they're, 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 they're learning how to deal with these things. They're learning how to, to, to recognize it when they're in school, when they're in the streets among them, their friends. This program is designed to help them with that. And it's been very effective, very, very effective. Yeah, and the options program had to go remote because of COVID. So I was wondering, as an NCO, a lot of your work revolves around interacting with the community um, and having events. So how have you guys had to adjust to, to the current pandemic? Wearing a mask and six feet apart. So you're still having events and everything? Well, it depends. Like, we just had a builder block meeting, and everybody, we brought masks, hand sanitizer, and we had everybody spaced out. A builder block meeting is where, the, where, where you, you cover a certain area, and the residents that live in that area, if they have any kind of complaints or anything they want to address, they would come there and, and present it to us. We would come to a solution, or we would put it up on our board and deal with it throughout a period of time which is maybe a week or a week and a half, whatever. And we would also be able to go to them, being an NCO, and deal with them on a more personal level and not let who a complaint is against or, or what the situation is, let them know that we're, we're there for the other person. And we can also use the mediator to bring those two people together to come to a resolution and solve the problem without putting cuffs on somebody. Well, we are just about at the tail end of the show here, so... You know, open it up one last time. Kayla, John, you got anything else? Just a thank you for taking time out of your 27-year-long career to come here today. In four months. In four months. Thank you. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. That's what I'm here for. And I want to thank all of our listeners for opting in with us. For John, for Kayla, for Officer Richardson, I am Officer Joe Galetta. Make sure you like and subscribe to our podcast and rate us five stars wherever you can.